Three whites or it's... Okay, okay, cool. I know, I thought it's voice finally broke. Okay, while we are setting up there, um, just a very quick piece that I just wrote to accompany my sermon. Uh, it goes like this. I am a contrast in a paradox. My personality is split. Bipolar like a panda and a polar bear. Neither black nor white, subscribing, subscribing to neither side. The darkness and the light, trying to coexist and coincide. Humility and pride destined to collide. Like Bonnie and Clyde, maybe more like Jekyll and Hyde. Some days I feel like I'm Ed Norton, trying to hide away from the world because I can never find love. But I realize I'm more like Tyler Durden because I can't stop beating myself up like I'm in Fight Club. A double-minded schizophrenic, I can barely make up my mind. Maybe if I never had a mind, then I would be fine. But never mind. Goodness, gracious me. I am filled with goodness. I am gracious, me. Everything I do is a touch of genius. I am touched by an angel. I have the Midas touch. Everything I touch turns to gold. I am disillusioned with illusions and delusions of grandeur, thinking I'm grander than I actually am. I am just a little boy, and one day will be an old man, never immortalized because I'm merely immortal in his eyes. The things that I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. If I could sue, you ask who? This other me, who is in love with me, who is really a peasant but thinks he's a king, who is really Schmiegel and thinks he's Lord of the Rings. I am a contrast in a paradox. This, I just um, wrote a little something to accompany the message which I entitled The, the Deception of Self-Dependence. Now, I, might, I know I'm preaching to the choir today about self-dependence. We all know what the Bible says about self-dependence. But I want us just to elaborate and go a little deeper today in terms of um, what does the Bible actually say. So first I want us just to look at how we listen. So I want to challenge us this morning. Every time the man of God, the woman of God gets up on the pulpit and speaks, we listen. Or should I rather say we hear. We hear the word of God, we've heard the word of God numerous times in the past, but how do we listen? The Bible gives us very simple truths in how we should listen and what type of listeners are, are here. And the Bible gives us four types of listeners which all of us are found in. You can find yourself in one of these. And uh, So when I was in school, my sister's report card came on the once and they said, you know, she's a very delightful child, very lovable, very uh, bubbly. But uh, one thing we do have to say, she has a very healthy appetite. And you can see the difference between my sister and myself. You will understand <laughs> that much. And um, my report card would come back in primary school and the teachers would come and say, you know, Grenville is a wonderful child, etc., etc. But he has trouble listening. And uh, being very distracted. You know, sometimes us boys, we, we don't tend to, to listen very well. And my wife will be a testament to that, that you never listen. You... So... I want us to look at what type of listeners are we in terms of the Word of God. And, uh, you know, Scripture always tells us we should take heed of how we listen. You know, um, good listeners make good counselors, good friends. You know, uh, people who are good listeners um, tend to make good company. You know, you, uh, in, in, in contrast, when you sit with bad listeners, somebody who's just waiting for a gap to say what they actually want to say and not actually hearing what you want to say. 
it benefits us as people to be good listeners and to be good hearers because good hearers make good friends. We make good company, we make good counsel, and we are called to be good listeners and good hearers. Now, even more important is how we listen to God, because when God speaks, it is not just, by the way, listen to me. When God says listen, He is giving us a commandment to listen to Him, to hear Him. And if you look in the Old Testament, um, you find 35 times in the Old Testament it says to Israel, hear the word of the Lord. You find 12 times in the Old Testament where he says, Hear, O Israel. Um, you find in the Psalms, in Hebrews 3, Hebrews 4, we find today, hear his voice. You know, and Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is commandments to us to hear the word of the Lord. So I'm not just saying, listen to Grenville the preacher. No, I'm saying, hear the word of the Lord. And how do we respond? Because the word of God is truth. Ultimate truth. You know, when... When God led the Israelites out of Egypt, He gave them statutes, the book of Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, the ones we stay away from because there's too much words in, the, in those books. But if you were to go and look at those books, you will see that God gave the Israelites practical wisdom. You sow for six years, and in the seventh year you let the, the soil rest because He was teaching them about biology and botany that this is what the soil needs. When he was teaching them about specific things, don't touch dead bodies because they did not know that germs existed. He was teaching them about how to survive and how to be separate. That is what those five books are actually about. It is God teaching Israelites. So when God gives us something, it's not for his benefits. God cannot benefit anymore. God knows everything. He is all that he will ever be at this present moment. The reason why we have the Bible and we have truth is because we need it. When he says do not, or when he says do, it is not for God's benefit. God cannot benefit from anything that he says, but we are the ones who benefit. That's why his laws are not heavy to carry. His laws are delightful because his laws bring life and brings light into our life. So when God tells us, listen, when he says, he who has ears to hear, let him listen. I know sometimes mother says you have cabbages or ornaments on your ears. Sometimes we, we, we find it hard to listen and you know we teach our teenagers, you know, you don't listen. And, but sometimes us as adults are just as guilty because we aren't accountable to anybody above us. Our kids are accountable to us. You know, if I was, when I was your age and this and that, you should listen, listen to your mother, I've been through things. And we forget sometimes as adults, as old as we are, that we have to be accountable to somebody higher than us, who knows more than us, who says, listen. So when he says, listen, and he says, hear what I have to say. There's purpose in what he's saying. It is for our benefit. Listen, you will stay away from so much trouble if we adhere to the word of God. But no, we are wise in our own eyes. The deception of self-dependence. So it is more important to listen to God when he says, he was, yes, you hear, let him hear. So we are frequently warned in scripture uh, when God speaks, you know, when, um, at the Mount of Transfiguration, when um, the, um, uh, when, you know, Jesus, uh, when uh, Moses and Elijah appeared and uh, God came from heaven and he said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And he says, today hear him. And when he says, listen to him, there's something important that God is trying to teach us here. And what I want us to do is I'm going to make us do a little bit of reading today. I hope that's okay that we read the Bible in church. If I'm not offending anybody in this climate of offense, uh, if you can turn with me to the book of Luke.
and we're going to turn to Luke 8. If I can get one amen, I'll be happy. Amen. Thank you, thank you. Luke 8, we're going to read from verse 12. Verse 12 says, uh, Clint, I see your thing about the, the vertically challenged people who need this pulpit. <laughs> Uh, I hope you brought your glasses today. I can borrow them, please. Uh, Luke 8, 12 to 15. Uh, so we read from verse 12. Uh, it says, those... So he's reading... The, uh, this is, he's telling a parable about the parable of the sower. This is... Uh, and it goes to say that those... And this is where he's explaining the parable, right? So those by the wayside are those who hear. Then the devil comes out and takes away the word... Uh, out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with all joy and have no roots. But believe for a while and for a time of temptation, they fall away. Now the ones who fell away, fell among the thorns, are those who, when they heard, go out and are choked with the cares, riches, and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to a maturity but when but the ones that fell on the good ground are those who having heard the word of noble good uh, having with a noble and good heart keep it and bear fruits with patience amen. amen i emphasize the specific word heard here those who heard heard there's four types of hearers four types of believers four people if i were to split you up you know normally at work they would say if you were an analytical mindset you go to this corner if you were a creative person you go to this corner there's a four quadrants the colors the green the yellow the blue we understand that the number four is also quite significant but there are four types of believers sitting in this room today and if we were to split us up where would we sit are we those who here superficially we come to church we hear we walk out what pastor preached about on friday on, on sunday hey something about jesus how many times <laughs> do we go through that i remember my sister went to youth once and then they asked her oh what what movie do you watch in youth and it's like yeah hey, jesus movie you weren't concentrating you weren't focusing what type of listener are you and i hope my sister doesn't listen to this message she's gonna kill me <laughs> but i love you sister um, but are we those who listen superficially? We listen surface value, we listen just to be encouraged, but when we come with something a little bit more challenging, we stop hearing. That is the hard ground. Are we those who listen emotionally, which the Bible says is like rocky ground? No seed can grow there. Are we those who listen temporarily or worldly, those once the, the cares and the worries of the world come and a job is lost and a loved one has is, 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 uh, lost their lives? or something happens that challenges your livelihood, you stop believing in God? Or are you those who hear savingly? And that is the good ground that the scripture is talking about. Good ground which can bear fruit. Which believer are we today? We'd all like to believe that we fall part of the last, of the good ground, but we look internally. Now, we ask ourselves why. Whenever I read scripture, I ask myself why did Jesus use that particular type of example? Why did he use it in that way? Why did, he, why did Jesus do what he did? And I believe that this particular parable was for the disciples to actually do. The challenge that I'm giving you now is to look inwardly and see what type of believer are you. It's a spiritual challenge. 
to see what type of believer are we. Because we see later on, Jesus says, Many come to me and say, Lord, Lord, have we not preached in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name? Have we not churched in your name? And he says, Depart from me, you work of iniquity. I knew you not. So these aren't worldly people, drug dealers, prostitutes. These are people who cast out demons. These are people yeah. who preached. Yeah. These are believers who fall part of one of the four of the type of grounds. And the challenge is, are we false or superficial believers when we hear the word of God or do we hear the word savingly and apply it? Because there's a purpose why we receive the word of God. If you're challenged by the word of God, we should start applying the word of God. If you hear something that challenges you and strikes you to the heart, like when uh, we had the men of God at the conference, like I was in my feelings because even coming up to preach today, weeks after they've preached, yeah. like those guys hit me in the feelings. Yeah. In the history feelings, in the theology feelings, yeah. in every type of facet that I'm touched by. And I am challenged now to even go and, yes, yes I want to go and read history. I want to go and read context. I want to go and do Bible studies of entire books because I am challenged. And when you are challenged by the word of God, it is the Spirit of God speaking to your heart to go and apply it being hearers of the word and not doers of the word or are we hearers of the word and doers of the word do we apply what we are here what we are hearing which is why i ask you what type of hearer are we what type how do we hear the word of god today and just one lesson i want us to extract from this straight after this in luke jesus gives him another parable jesus full stop okay that's the, the parable of the sower moves on to the next and he gives him the parable where he says that if you receive a light, a candle, do you hide it under the basket? And he says, let your light shine for men to see. Like on a hill, on a city that won't be conformed to sin. This is, this is what he's trying to say. He follows it up directly because I believe that he's trying to teach us something. Is that one of the ways that the good soil listens or hears is we hear evangelistically. When we hear the word of God, he's saying, disciples, if you get a light, you know, if we had to think back to, to, um, to Israel at the time, they didn't have mattresses. They had sheets or they'd have little bed sheets that they would lay on the floor and cover themselves. It was hot. They didn't have the, the benefits of mattresses. We think modern terms. But when we think back in those days, would you cover a light with a basket, with a mattress? Would you, you wouldn't, right? So you've received this light. He's explaining to them the, the, the secrets because what Jesus was doing here with parables we need to understand, was that Jesus was rendering judgment unto Israel. If you go and read in the book of Isaiah, he says they will have ears to hear but won't hear, they'll have eyes to see but won't see. So he's saying that it's not for them, he's taking the kingdom away from, from these hard-hearted people and rendering judgments on them, but he's saying for you who are in the inner circle, I'll reveal to you and I've given you lights, not for you to go and hide the lights under a basket, but for you to go proclaim. We all recall, for those of us who are born again, we recall the day that we gave our hearts to the Lord. What joy and fulfillment and love and I could remember that I wanted nothing else. If I had my Bible and I literally only owned a Bible at the time, I was between homes and living overseas and I didn't have anything to my name, but I had this. And I re recall I wanting nothing else, nothing else but Jesus. Now, if you have that light, everyone would give me a time of day that would hear about God on the bus, on the sidewalk at work, everywhere, everywhere. Good morning. Oh, you know who else is good? And I'm, I want to share. 
every time that I had an opportunity to share the word of God because I was filled with light and when you are so filled with light like the disciples would have been you do not hide it away so what he's teaching them is that you do not or those who are of the good soil here evangelistically you do not keep something so precious and not want to share it you share the word of God with whomever if you are convicted whether you're not, if you're not convicted, that is on you. But if you're convicted when you ever you hear the word of God, you go and share the word of God with those who do not know Christ. Because one day he is coming back. And as long as we've been alive, we've been hearing that. We've been hearing he's coming back. But I believe we are part of that generation who is going to see the coming of Christ. Um, you know, when I remember there was a little bit of a phenomena in the sky a couple of years ago. And at work, it was... Uh, the sun and uh, they explained it scientifically but it's basically like this big circle around the sun and it's like a rainbow circular and I thought it was so fascinating and I made a joke to my colleagues at work I'm like you Jesus is coming back and uh, she was like yo don't say that don't say that oh my gosh <laughs> panicking because it seems so real like it could happen first time we've ever seen something like that but the reality is that he's coming back in glory yeah. and he's coming back with myriads of his angels and every knee will bow every tongue will confess that he is Lord and we know that we are safe in his arms when he comes back that everything is burnt away all our riches all of our money all of our things all of our materialism is gone but all we have left is Christ so we listen evangelistically first Peter 2 verse 9 says but you are a chosen generation a royal priesthood a holy nation his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are called to be evangelistic with the word of God. When you hear, hear it with joy, receive it with joy and give it back out. We are not called to hide our light under a basket. When last have you told somebody about Jesus? When last? Have we shared the goodness of God that he is actually good? that he can save you, that you are depressed because of your own choices or because of what has happened to you. But I know somebody who holds the future. I know somebody who has the whole world in his hands. We learned it in Sunday school. Basic but profound truth. He's got the whole world in his hands. So we listen evangelistically. So how do we listen? So I want us to look at an example in the Bible where two people failed to listen to God. We're going to look in Genesis 3 and we all understand the, the, the account of the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve are with God in the garden. Satan comes in Genesis 3, comes in as a serpent. And God gives him the commandments. All of the trees you may eat of, that one tree you may not eat of. And the, the serpent then comes to, to, to Eve. Oh, did God really say? And we need to understand firstly, who is Satan? And what is his agenda? Because the Bible says we're not ignorant of his devices. It's like, you know they say game recognize game. If you are a player and you see somebody just... <laughs> you then know that... You, you, you know, right? Game recognize game. If you are a skellum, you can understand another skellum. We understand the Bible gives us clear instruction of who Satan is and what his devices, what tools does he use to get mankind to fall into sin. So we need to understand, the Bible does not omit over, it gives us very detailed description of who he is and what his devices are. And in order for us to understand how he operates in our lives, to know what is Satan, because now we're rebuking every spirit that is not even, the Satan's like, hey, it wasn't me, bro. Like, 
you, you're rebuking him, Satan, get thee behind me, and he's not even there. Sometimes it's your own foolishness. So we need to understand what is Satan and what is our own foolishness. What is the deception of self-dependence? What is self-dependence and what is actually Satan? So we need to understand firstly who he is, right? So in the Garden of Eden, he came to them and he gave them three facets. And we've mentioned this from the pulpit before, but he came to them with the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Those three categories are summarized in the same way that he came to Christ in the garden, uh, not in the garden, but in the wilderness, and he came to him and he gave him three temptations. Lust of the eye, what looks nice. Lust of the flesh, what feels good, and the pride of life, that you are bigger than you are. Self-dependence. That is the same three categories he's going to come to you in. And the word lust is not only in the sexual context. We understand you say lust, you think sexual. No. Lust comes from the Greek word epithumia, which means strong desire. You can have good lust towards God, strong desire towards Christ. That is what the, the perfect use of lust is. So think of the, the, of the lust of the eye. If something looks nice, I want it. If something feels good, I want it. And you know what the central tenet of Satanism is? Do what thou wilt. What feels good, do. Whatever feels good to the body, feels good to the mind, go ahead and do it. Nothing is without bounds. But God gives us boundaries. If there's cricket with no boundaries, there'll be no six, no four. It'll be a very low scoring game. Boundaries define how far we can go because it's for our benefit, not for God's. So we need to understand who Satan is. Who is he and what is his agenda? Lust of the eye. Lust of the flesh and pride of life. If Satan's going to get you, he's going to get you in these three areas. These three specific areas. So what I want us to look at quickly, if you can turn with me to uh, Isaiah 14. Um, you can turn back. You can look at your concordance. Isaiah 14. And I'm just going to show us briefly what uh, one passage of scripture where the Bible defines who he is. The Bible talks about Satan having personhood. He's a person. We want to think of evil as this external force that is floating around in the universe trying to tell people, no, evil is tied to personhood. There's no evil without no person. Yeah. Like there's no love without God or with us. If there was no us, we cannot display love. Love is not something that just exists like the air. Love and evil, they, they, they personified. So in um, Isaiah 14, so if you read Isaiah 14, and I'm going to read verse 12 to 14. And it says this. This is Satan meditating in his own heart. He says, How you have fallen from the heavens, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you were cut down to the ground. You who weakened the nations. You have said in your heart, I will ascend to the heaven, into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farther side of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Notice something in there, the repetition. I, 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 me, me, me. Self-deception. Now, how do we know also, one good thing is, how do we know the Bible is the inspired word of God? If this was written by the Lord of the Rings author or the Game of Thrones author, he would say that I would be greater than the Most High. But he says that I will be like the Most High. Very important to note, because even Satan, Lucifer, knows that there's nobody greater than God. You cannot fathom anything greater than God, because God is unfathomable, unknowable. 
So I will be like him. That was his aspirations. I will sit on the side of the mountain. I will ascend to heaven. I will do these things. I will be like the Most High. Now when you go look back in the temptation of Adam and Eve, what does he say to, to, to Eve? Did God really say you're going to die? No, surely you won't die. But if you eat the fruit, you will be like God. Like the Most High. The same prideful sin that he fell into. If I can get you to partake in the same, you will share in the same fate as me. So we need to understand his devices. Is that for us to think that we are greater than we are? In the poem that I read, it said, I'm disillusioned with illusions of grandeur. Illusions of grandeur means that you think that you're better than you are. You're greater than you are. You are more than you are. When you realize that you are just flesh. Bible says that we are vapor in the wind. We are flowers here today and gone tomorrow. Grass here today, burnt up tomorrow. That is human life. That is mankind. That is who we are. We are not so great. We are not. And this is the agenda of Satan is to make you think that you are. You know, when you ask somebody, whenever we are faced with trials or faced with something, you say, I got this. I'll make a plan. I'll figure it out. That's why this gospel of self-dependence that we hear so much, that you are. You know, I heard a prominent preacher saying that, oh, people aren't as bad as they are. They just go through some things and people aren't that bad. No, what does the Bible say? The Bible says whoever trusts in his, in his own mind is a fool. It says the way of the fool is right in his own eyes. Jesus says, I am the true vine and without me you can do nothing. And it says, but in Isaiah 64, but we are all as unclean things and all our righteousness is filthy rags. Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your hearts and lean not on your own understanding. Jeremiah 17, it says the heart is wicked above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? This is what the Bible says. I could not find one scripture which says, you the man, you got this, you can do this. Believe in yourself, trust in yourself, know, follow your heart. Every love song will tell you, listen to your heart, follow your heart. Trust in what's inside, what's inside of you will. That is lies. That is anti-Christian. That is anti-God. That is a lie from Satan when he says that you will be like God. Because in that sense, what you're saying, and my wife, in our wisdom yesterday, also corrected me because I'm coming with all of the man plans. And us men have trouble with this because I made a plan, babe. I sorted things out. I, I made a way for us. As a man, I want to provide and sort out things. And, but the reality is my wife corrected me. And she's like, hey, maybe you're not thinking about it the right way. Maybe you should wait. Maybe you should be patient. Maybe you should pray about it. And I didn't even think about praying about our, our problem. I did not even think about praying because I made a plan. I sorted it out. I made a way. I, I made a plan. Purmaka plan. I sorted something out for us. Don't worry. Don't buy I got this, babe. I'm the man. I'm your husband. That is a lie. And sometimes we need to understand. We need to identify where Satan gets us and he gets us in the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh and that pride of life, man. The lust of the eye we can see like, okay, I want that Ferrari, straightforward. But the pride of life is like that snake that comes behind you. You don't see it. You don't realize you're proudful, prideful. You don't realize that your heart is boastful and, and stout like Satan. Like you know that you cannot overcome God, but you still firmly believe into this day, like I'm going to ascend and I'm going to do these things. I'm going to overcome because you're so filled with the pride in, in, in your own ability and because we get so stuck in who we are and what we can do because we've done things before and we've won fights before and we've done things that we can, that we can fix every problem. But, you know, um, when I think of what is the most terrifying 
scripture in the Bible. No, at first I used to think it was that. Lord, Lord, have I not prophesied in your name? Turn away from me, you work of iniquity. That is a very scary scripture, but Dean, Kenan, you guys quoted it up here, or you guys mentioned it. God is good. And all the time, God is good. That for me is the most scariest passage of scripture, or the truth about the Bible. Because the truth is God is good. And we are not. We are wicked and deceitful and terrible inside of us. Every imagination and thought and intent of our hearts is continually evil. But like Jesus said that I'm the true vine outside of you can do nothing in me. If, unless you are born again, unless you are renewed and rejuvenated and becoming sanctified and on your way to being justified, you are an enemy of God. And that is the truth of it, that God is good, yes. And God is being good to us and that's the context that we speak it. But the truth is that we are not good and we are deserving of punishment because we serve a holy God. A God, you know what holy means? Holy means separated. You know when he says be holy as I am holy, and like how do I do that? No, he says be separated, which is why Israel had a separate diet. You couldn't eat shellfish, you couldn't wear certain clothing, you couldn't cut your beard, you couldn't do all these things because Israel is meant to be so separate from everybody around them that they're like those people are weird, they don't conform. They are transformed by the renewing of their mind. These people are different. God wanted a nation that is so away and so separate, so otherworldly from the people around them. That's why God put Israel in the middle of, of trouble. Why couldn't he send them to South Africa or to New Zealand? Away from everything. Yeah. They could have trekked, they could have made a plan. But he put them next to Egypt, next to Assyria, next to Iran, next to Babel, next to all of these nations that afflicted them from the north, from the south, from the east, from the west, put them directly in the middle because he wanted them to depend on him so much that no matter what they had gone through, no matter how tough it was when all the nations descend upon them, which will happen in the day of Armageddon, that they would call out to him and say, God, if you can't, we can't. Israel has the most sophisticated um, military and they depend on it so much but that's going to fail them and they're going to have to turn back remnants and say lord if you can't save us because we are supposed to not depend on ourselves not one scripture could i find about self-dependence but it always says turn to god now i want us to just look at one thing in closing and i want us to just look at uh, i'm not going to ask you to turn there but the, the 119th psalm it is the longest psalm in the bible so i do challenge you to go and read it very, very profound, very amazing. But this is where David is calling out to God. And it's about the theology of suffering. Now, all of us in some way, shape or form have gone through some, some level of suffering. We've lost a loved one, someone close to us. We've lost a job. We've gone through some heartbreak, some boy, some girl breaking our hearts, some type of loss in our lives. And when you go through that, the Bible, you know, the Bible doesn't give you this airy-fairy view of come to Jesus and all will be okay. Everything in, in actual facts, it'll be opposite. I remember, Bev, I don't know if you recall, years and years ago, we were driving on the highway and we saw this guy in a Ferrari and then you said, hey, but that guy doesn't pay his tides. Like, how come? <laughs> <laughs> and, no, but it's understandable. It's like, hey, but Lord, you're blessing the, the sinners. And it's understandable to an extent where we look at other people who don't suffer, who aren't part of the fold. Lord, we come to you and now we're having a hard time. Swar. You know, like it's, it's, it's rough out here serving God. And this gospel of come to Jesus and he'll fix and make you better and best life now. And it's, yeah, it has its place. But also we need to understand that the truth of the gospel is that you come to him and you come and carry a cross. 
You, yeah. He calls you to suffer. Suffering is not something that you willingly go towards, but you understand that his burden is light and his yoke is easy. That you suffer. Uh, the disciples willingly walked into persecution and execution. You go look at how all of them died. Some were executed upside down, some were boiled in oil, some were crucified like they died egregiously, stoned, all sorts of ways. But they done it with a smile on their face because when they looked into heaven and they saw Christ standing and applauding, and this is my child who I'm well pleased with. When you go into glory, you realize that the suffering of the present moment is not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. So we understand that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, not conceived in our heart, like he set eternity inside of our hearts. We don't understand that suffering has a purpose. So when you go through it, woe is me, Lord, why, why me? Why must I always, why always me? Why always you? Because God is refining you. When a goldsmith is, 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 is boiling, um, um, gold, he boils it seven times and then scrapes off all of the top, all of the impurities out and then boils it again, scrapes the impurities to make you pure and refined. That is part of, of justification and sanctification. Sanctification is a constant ongoing purifying of who you are. So this is what God is doing and this is the, the, the psalm that David is giving us. And in closing, Psalm 119 is a theology of suffering. And what I want us to also just look for here is when, I, when I'm reading this, I'm looking for something specific and when God works, you know, when man works, when he says his ways aren't like our ways, when we think of a complete number, we think of tens, you know, 10, the top 10 list, the top 10 best movies, the top 10 best songs, top 10, 10 is like a complete number. When God thinks of complete numbers, it's seven. When God looks at seven, you read the book of Revelation, seven bowls, seven lampstands, seven, the seven, that seven days in a week, seven, 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 created the earth, seven, completed number is seven. God works in heptats. Heptat is the number for seven. Heptatlon, um, heptagon, the number of seven. So when I see the theology of suffering, I want us to look at just seven quick lessons that, that David is giving us here. Now, um, the first thing, Psalm 119 verse 50, I'll read it for us. It says, this is my comfort in my affliction, for your word has given me life. The first thing that God teaches us in suffering is that it pushes us into the word of God. Some of us are here today because things aren't going so good in our lives. Pushes us into God's word. Hey, maybe there's an answer here for me because I've tried it all. I've seen, I've heard, counselors aren't helping me. Nothing is helping me. Young people, doesn't matter where you are, whatever you're struggling with. When God puts you through hardships, he's pushing you into the word of God. He's driving you into his word because his word, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. His word will illuminate your path. And there's a reason why the psalmist said that, because the lights were just illuminate enough for them to see serpents and snakes and all of that. It gives you enough view to get you through the day. And that is why the word of God will carry you through so much trouble and save you from so much foolishness and so much heartache if you are to just read. Do not be unequally yoked. How many girls and boys did we go and date and try our luck with? Ah, maybe they'll change if I just bring them to church. Maybe I can, hey, maybe I can fix, maybe I can do something. And then you realize, no, that person will never change for you. Unequally yoked, you sit with heartbreak today because of that unequally yoked situation if you had listened to the Word of God. The Word of God pushes us, or affliction, or suffering, or pain, pushes us into the Word of God. The second lesson, that it pulls us back onto the path. 100, Psalm 119, verse 67, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word, because you will go astray. Anyone who went astray here, yeah, I'm picking up my hand. You will eat a short lift and you will come right because you will end up with something that you will, you will suffer. 
how many people have gone astray and ended up with a venereal disease? How many people have gone into so much debt, gone astray? How many people have gone into bad relationships, made bad choices, have children or issues or things, broken hearts, soul ties because of that short lift? David says that I went astray. I was afflicted because I went astray, but now I keep your word. Why does he keep his word? Because the suffering brought him back onto the path. The word of God will direct you, guide you, light you. And that's what God is trying to get from affliction. Um, the third point is that it chisels God's plan into our life. Psalm 119 verse 71, it says, It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. Neural science says that you do something 20 times and then you form a neural pathways. That's why it's hard for some people to give up addictions because the first time you just see that thing, easy to just go back. The moment you see that girl, it's easy to just, the neural pathways, it finds the shortest way to behavior. And that's why they say you smoke 20, you form a habit. You do something for 20 days, you form a habit. That suffering forms a neural pathway in your brain because you can recall the time a parent died. You can recall the time your heart was broken and God helped you through it. That you say, he killed the lion, he killed the bear. He can surely help me through this. That it chisels God's plan into your life that this is not meant for me. The fourth um, uh, lesson we get is that it teaches us that God is faithful. Uh, verse 75 says, I know, O Lord, that your judgments are right and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. In God's faithfulness, he puts us through trials. Stop blaming the devil for every trial that comes in your life. Sometimes it's God putting you through situations that is teaching you something that in his faithfulness, in his faithfulness, he afflicts you because he wants you to turn. He wants you to trust him. He wants to refine you. He wants to boil you like gold and take out all of the trust. Make you sanctified. Sanctification is a process. We want to be super saved. Super saiyan saved, sitting on the mountain of transfiguration. But it doesn't. You've got, in order to get there, sanctification. You know, sometimes we think that the more we do for God, the better, the more pleased he is. God is not pleased with that. God is pleased with us giving more of ourselves daily. You can go and do all of the things. I read the scripture, it says our best righteousness is filthy rags. And that filthy rags was talking about menstrual crop. That's why I would present it before God, your best righteousness. Bill Gates giving all his fortune away. Jeff Bezos giving all his fortune away. Billions and billions. It's filthy rags before him. What God actually wants is your hearts. That's the real estate that he's after. So that is what God actually wants and he refines you because it draws you closer to him. When things are nice, Hey, we're far from God. Hey, got the Ferrari, got the nice house, got the pool, got the view, got all the nice things. Hey, maybe I'm a bit lazy to get to church today. When things are going well, but the moment you have turmoil and trouble, where do you find yourself? You find yourself in the house of God. So God realizes, hey, if I put these ones through trouble, I'll find them. I'll find them. I'll bring them here. And that's what happened to Israel when things were going well with them. Manna from heaven. Oh, praise you, Lord. The moment they had things in the, in the promised land, milk and honey, they forgot about God and started worshiping the Baals and the Ashtaroths and all of these. And that's what happens to us. We don't worship the Baals, but we start giving ourselves over to other things, over to materialism and over to so many of the gods of this world. And it's a scary thing to realize when the only person that Jesus ever called God was Satan. He says Satan is the God of this world. And it's a terrifying thing to realize that if you know, you, if he'll give you the desires of your heart as well. Give yourself over to him, he'll give you everything you want. Materialism, same thing after Jesus. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. All these kingdoms are yours. It's his to give. And when we understand that this world belongs to Satan, the systems, that's why we see so much of this agendas being pushed up. Transgenderism, our ch children learning these things. 
evolutionism, all of the stuff and the agendas that have been pushed in this world is part that because we're part of the system. You know, I used to be very anti-Christmas because of the paganism that was found in, in, in Christmas. You know, ah, it's nothing to do with Jesus. But I realized that if I had to cancel Christmas, I would cancel everything else. Monday is Monday. Thursday is Thursday. Mars, the planet Mars is... The, everything around us is pagan. Everything around us is pagan. We live in a pagan world. We live in a fallen world. We cannot go and live in a mountain away from everything else we live. But we are not conformed to the pattern of this world. We are transformed by the renewing of our minds. The fifth lesson that it keeps us focused on our teacher. Psalm 119 verse 92. Unless your law had been my delight, I would have perished in my afflictions. We take delight in the law of God, in the instruction of God, when he says, thou shall not, thou shall, because there's life in the word of God. Uh, the sixth lesson, it forces us to test his promises. Verse 107 says, I am afflicted very much. Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. Now, you know, what is David doing writing the Psalms? There's 150 Psalms. I'm not too sure how much he actually wrote. But David was in, in the bush, in the felt, singing these Psalms. Lord, you are my strength, you are my tower, you are my refuge. You are the one that my soul takes refuge in. As a deer pants after the water, so my soul longs after you. There's nobody around him. He's not performing a concert. He's not, he's not doing it for anybody. He's writing these psalms and singing love songs to God because he's speaking the promises of God into his own heart. Because our heart is wicked and deceitful, we need to understand this, that your heart will lead you astray because our heart is part of our flesh and our hearts are not sanctified. Our flesh is not sanctified. So we need to understand that our hearts will tell you, hey, give him another chance, man. He's not that bad not compared to the last one. You know? Your heart will, will negotiate. Your heart will make you negotiate yourself into sin. Hey, it's just one sip. Come on, man. Hey, all having sip. Like, don't be a wet blanket. Just have one. Like, you're not going to get... Whatever it is that you, your heart will deceive you into sinning, because your heart is not sanctified. And what David is doing is he's speaking the promises of God into his heart. He's sanctifying himself by saying, Heart, trust in the Lord with all your, your might. Yeah. You know, you are my fortress, Lord. He's not talking to anyone, but he's sanctifying himself. He's encouraging himself in the Lord. When he says, you are my salvation, you are my exceeding, exceeding great reward. You know, all of the Psalms are written under that premise. When you read the Psalms, he's encouraging himself, talking to his own heart building himself up in the Lord because the heart will lead you astray. Don't ever trust your hearts when they say, listen to your heart. That is a lie. Your heart will lead you astray. Listen to the word of God. And sometimes what, what David is saying here is saying that I'm testing him in his promises. When we went through our housebreaking and all of the things were happening and I was feeling anxious, he said, Lord, but you said, be anxious for nothing. But know that my burden is, my burden is light, my yoke is easy. Lord, so you said, so I'm not going to be scared. I hear noises, I'm not scared. You got this. You will strike them down if they come. I will not be afraid. I'm invoking God's promises. Whatever the struggle you're going through, find a promise and then speak it into your heart and you will find, you will be encouraged and you will, depression will be a thing of the past. Speak God's promises. Lord, you promise to be a comforter to the brokenhearted. You promise that you'll be there. You'll never leave me nor forsake me even till the end of the age. Lord, you said, you said, you said and he sets his word above his name. That means he cannot lie because God is not a liar. No son of man that should repent. That is the truth of God. So speak his promises. That's what the sixth lesson is. The seventh and final lesson that brings God to our doorstep. Invites him. Draw an eye unto me and I'll draw an eye unto you. Uh, verse 50, uh, 153 says, Consider my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. Delivery in the form of Mr. De Delivery, Uber Eats. He will deliver, he will bring his 
His revelation will bring His truth to your doorstep. And that is the seven lessons, the seven hepatical lessons that I got from, from Psalm 119. And um, we understand that there's purpose in affliction. So next time you depend on yourself and say, I will make a plan, I will sort this out. Do not depend on your own strength. You are weak. You are fragile. Yeah. Us as people, we are very fragile. And our even from our bodies to our egos to all of these things and the men will know your wife says something to you hey, it pokes deep because our egos are fragile our bodies are fragile we are chafe in the wind here today and gone tomorrow as the bible says do not put trust in your own stock one day you you were a young man next day you were an old man joseph even said short and troublesome have been the days of my there's 176 he says my life was short that's how quickly your life will come and go and we need to understand that you depend on God. Then you read the scripture, some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, but we will trust in the Lord. And that is my encouragement to you today. Do not put any stock, any value in yourself. When things are going bad, we see stage eight, stage 10, stage 20 load shedding and things going from bad to worse. We put our trust fully in God because if he could sustain Israel, in a, in a drought, if he could sustain Daniel in the lion's den, if he could sustain David, if he could sustain all of these people. How much more does he love you than he does the birds? How much more does he care for you? How much more? I read another psalm that day, it stuck with me. It says that his thoughts towards you are like the sand on the sea. Think of how many sand grains. That's the, the thoughts to you continuously. Millions, billions, trillions, gazillions of thoughts towards you constantly he loves you cares for you will do anything for you that he gave his best for you do not trust yourself let us trust in the word of god let us trust in his never failing promises he is faithful you know what faithful is that he'll never let you down he is trustworthy he is true he is loving he is caring if you want to trust anybody trust in god not yourself because the heart is deceitful above all else so that's my encouragement for us. I just want to pray for everybody and I'll, I'll hand the mic over. Um, dear Lord, we thank you for your word, which is